I'm Jeff Russo. We're going to talk about film and television music that uh, I get to create here in the studio. Um, probably talk a little bit about Fargo, and ooh, I should probably turn my phone off. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for uh, inviting, inviting me here to talk about a new studio. It's a, a real honor, so You're thank welcome. you so much. Thanks for being here. Well, to, uh, let's start off, you know, start off from the very beginning. I'd like to talk maybe a little bit about your uh, your childhood and kind of uh, the certain events that led up to you finding music. What, what were the elements there that kind of came into play and kind of got you on that on that path? Starting, you know, out? I've been playing music of some sort since I was um, really young. You know, I was like seven or eight. Mm -hmm. Started tinkering on my uncle's piano. I didn't have a piano at home. I would go to my uncle's house and. Somehow I just sort of started playing and making some music on it. And then um, my mom said, pick an instrument at, stu you know, at, <laughs> at, uh, at, at school, and I, I picked violin. So I played violin for a year. And I was just one of those kids that never could stick with one thing. So like mm -hmm. in fourth grade, I played violin. In fifth grade, I played clarinet. In sixth grade, I played snare drum. And that sort of changed my life. Then all of a sudden, I was like, wait, drums? Like, you can hit stuff and make <laughs> cool noises? Um, so I started doing that. And then it's one of those things. My father died when I was 12. So after my dad died, my mom, as one of those sort of like give the kid whatever he wants because his mm -hmm. dad just died gifts, bought me a drum set. Wow. I started playing drums. And um, that was really what I started doing. And then I got in a band. Well, you were um, still into uh, well, well, like big band. Well, like, no, I, I got it. I got into like we we were like just doing covers, and uh -huh. I was playing drums. We we're doing like Bruce Springsteen <laughs> covers and the Cars. It was kind of fun. Um, and then one day, I was like hanging with my friends in the band, and I was like, oh, you know, that guy up there is, looks like he's having fun. The guy on the guitar, and I was like, that seems kind of fun. <laughs> and that night, we all smoked a lot of pot and listened to um, Pink Floyd, The Wall, which I yeah. I had never heard it. I had wow, never heard so it at the time. That was your first time. Yeah. So the guy was like, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this record. So we listened to this song. It was called Mother. And there's this really great guitar solo. It's very melodic. You know, Dave Gilmore, who is my favorite guitar player in the world, he, he plays this very melodic style. And um, all of a sudden, I was like, I right, forget the drums. I got to play guitar. guitar yeah and then that sort of became my my um entryway into like really really getting serious about music and then after high school i drove across country here started a rock band and then so you I came here to, for to start a band right out of high school so just and why why did you pick la was it, was it a big music scene at the time well you know i so i i, I grew up knowing this guy his name is lenny kravitz i'm sure you know who he is mm -hmm. um <laughs> and we we met when i was like 15 and um, he was making music in New York, and I was making music with this this other kid, and we the three of us got in a um, a car and drove across country, uh, essentially to to make music when we got here. Right. And Lenny was going to produce because he was already at the time he was known as Romeo Blue. This is before he was uh, uh -huh. <laughs> before he was uh, Lenny Kravitz, um, and. We just became really close friends, and we lived in a loft downtown LA, and we had a little wow. studio. We were making music, and then at some point we went back to New York, and Lenny started making his record. Right. And this kid that I was working with, um, his name was Aramis. We started writing songs together, and um, then cut to like two or three years later, I quit that band. Um, 
and then met this other guy who I'd known since I was in high school. His name was Emerson. We started a band Tonic, and then right. we sort of made our first record and then toured around for a very long time. Wow. Yeah. That was my entryway into being a professional musician. Right. Um, and then some long time after that, I, I started getting into doing the film, film and television. <laughs> yeah. You, it seems to be, and I see this, a, a trend, a lot of guys uh, and girls, whatever, you know, get into rock and roll, into band, into performing. They find their way here somehow into to film and television composing. I mean, you look at Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer and a lot of the, the names you associate with film music. Uh, John Williams was a you know guitarist and, and jazz musician and Lalo Schifrin and kind of in the more of the performance side of things. What is what do you think is about Cliff Martinez, Red Hot Chili Peppers? Like right. oh, what brings you guys to this medium kind of after doing the whole? Well, you still do it, but I mean just like what what was what's the what's, what was the appeal for you? I well, guess. you know, as a as a writer you have this drive to mm -hmm. want to continue to create music. So, I mean, I can sit in a bubble and write music. Right. You know, um, it seems I enjoy, and I'm, I I can't speak for any of the other people oh, you're yeah. talking about, but That's I, for you, yeah. personally, <laughs> it's like I enjoy writing music for a pur with a purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, like with the band, we'd sit down and we'd write songs, and the end result was we were going to make a record and go play it in front of people. Right. You know, um, some of our favorite composers, like they would write music and then they would perform it for people, like, you know, the, or they would have orchestras perform it or, or whatever. And I think that, you know, after being in a band and, and touring around and, and writing songs and, and um, playing for people, you want to stretch out and do the same thing in other ways. It's mm -hmm. just another creative extension, you know. Um, so I think that the, that the, the, the allure of it is you get to continue to do that thing, right. but, yeah. oh, it's in this other thing. Like, it's a completely different type of creation, you know? Right, yeah. um, when I'm sitting and writing a song, I'm not thinking really about anything other than what the song is. When I'm sitting and writing a, a, a piece of music for, for a, a film or, or a TV show, it's like, you know, you're creating from a completely different point of view. All of a sudden, you get to choose what your point of view is. It, it can be the point of view of the producer, or point of view of the character, or point of view of, of the director, or anybody. And um, that it always posed an interesting um, uh, it, it conundrum. You know, mm. it's like, well, no, I'm used to writing from my own perspective, and now I can switch around this perspective. Um, maybe it's not a conundrum, but it was certainly a challenge. <laughs> and 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 the, I'm always I'm always interested in a challenge. So when I started being able to write music for, for film and television, it, it just seemed like a very natural sort, sort of shift in, um, in my ability to continue to be creative. You know? Right. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not a composer, I'm not a musician, but there are a lot of musicians and composers who do listen to these interviews. Uh, what were those kind of big hurdles for you when you were starting your, starting your career and kind of getting into here? What was kind of the, the challenge to really, I guess, get the career going? I mean... I know it changes kind of over time and the industry is always evolving and changing, but when you were doing it, what were kind of the challenges you faced? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, so I have or had or have and had a career as a performing artist right. and a recording artist, you know, with my band. So in 2005, 2006, like we had been, um, we'd been touring for like 12 years and 
we all sort of said, hey, let's take a minute. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we spent the first four years after our first record came out of nonstop touring. Wow. Um, so we, we wanted to take a break and I kind of needed to figure out what it was I was going to do in that break. And then I got to thinking, well, what if we never get back together? What if mm. we don't make a record again? What if we don't go on tour? What would I want to do? And, you know, it really all just wanted to be centered around music. Was it going to be trying to produce records or trying to make my own record? You know, our singer went out and, and made a, a, a few solo records. That wasn't something that I really was very interested in. I actually sat down and wrote a record, you know, of me playing and, and singing all the, all, the, um, all the songs. And no one has ever heard it, nor will anyone ever hear it. <laughs> but it was the, you know, it made me sort of realize that that really wasn't the thing that I really wanted to do. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I became friends with Wendy Melvoin and she, as she had said, hey, why don't you come down to the studio and watch what we do? And they were working on Heroes and right. working on Crossing Jordan yeah. at the time. And I said, okay. So I, I went and I sort of sat in their studio for like uh, three weeks. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is really great. This is really, I really enjoy this process, watching mm -hmm. them do their thing. Um, and then Wendy was like, hey, why don't you try your hand at writing a cue? And I said, okay. So <laughs> I did, and apparently it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, apparently they were impressed. And then, then at that point, they said, like, you know, Lisa um, was about to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And Wendy said, I don't think I can handle doing both these shows at the same time. Why don't you help me with um, Crossing Jordan? And I did, and then just started writing cues. And then doing a whole bunch of other stuff too, assisting them, uh, you know, recording uh, different musicians and editing right, and doing right. a whole bunch of stuff. And just sort of really getting immersed into into the whole thing. Right. And I and immediately was hooked. I was like, this is great. I love doing this. Wow. And that was sort of how I entered into getting into this. But it was... Very, I was very lucky that I sort of got to transition from one, you know, insular career to another. Yeah. You know, um, with, but it, it took a while. You know, it, yeah. it, it that was in two thousand seven, um, and uh, and now you have your juggling. Now, <laughs> yeah, now I, now I'm doing now I'm doing a lot now. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely up to my neck in it. But it, it was two years or so before I met Noah. Right. Who hired me on my yeah with these creator of Fargo and he hired me in my on my first of my own job you know like that I wasn't working either collaborating with somebody else or right. helping out as an additional music writer or you know something that somebody else had got it was my first like oh I'll do a demo yeah and then I went and had a meeting and then got hired wow um, and immediately flew to New York to do that um, so yeah I mean that was sort of the entryway into the whole thing wow yeah, it was very very interesting and yeah, super super right place right time right I person know. right music you know and we're talking i talked that with a lot of other people that it has to be this balance of is it either luck or is it talent i think it has to be both i i say this all the time it's definitely right place right time right, right. music right people there's so many right th um right. elements that need to all come together to begin the thing right you know, and it's with every project that yeah. every project is like that. And and then as you do more and more and more, um, some of the other things sort of fall away. It's mm -hmm. like uh, it because you already know those people. So it may not be who, you know, because you already know those people, you know, right, then right, it may right. just be like, well, is are you the right person to make the music for this particular project? And it's easier to get a job that way. Right. Um, but um, 
it really so many so many things have to be in concert quite literally right. in order for um <laughs> for it to happen it's uh luck is a lot a big part of it yeah yeah so you are i mean fast forward now 2015 which is fuck is it 2015 you're you're <laughs> a huge slate man i mean look at uh, your huge slate i mean look at some of your shows manhattan the return battle creek complications the tut miniseries extent cc csi fiber fargo power i mean as a wow. Yeah. <laughs> did you know? Yeah, did you know? Yeah, no, I did. I did. How do you juggle? I mean, when you're scheduling that, I mean, that's, you're talking about everything coming together and this kind of, like, storm of work. I mean, not only just the time that you need to dedicate yourself to it, but how do you process in your mind to, I guess, organize it in your head when you're creating this music in all these different worlds? Um, wow. Well, collaboration is key. Right. Um, you know... On a number of the shows you 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 mentioned, I had you know co-writers that mm -hmm. I that I That's created right, yeah. the music with, like the Returned and a Manhattan I do with Zoe Keating, who mm -hmm. I love working with. She's such a fantastic writer and and such a fantastic cellist. CSI Cyber I do with a good friend of mine, Ben Dechter. Mm -hmm. A lot of the other things, like you know, I have I have an assistant. Um, his name is Jordan, and he he writes additional music that is so important to me because it's like there's no if I need to write. 280 minutes of music in a very short time it's it's literally impossible to do right. so you know there I try to write big themes and then you get help from your from your and and then I have uh, you know three other people who work work for me editing Mateas is um, one of my editors and um, a couple of other assistants making sure that like the schedule gets taken care of right and because if if somebody doesn't tell me what I have to work on I will literally at some point not know what yeah. things now I was I got very lucky with the amount of work that there was, it all sort of fell right into the right time exactly. There wasn't ever too much um, like work at one time. Yeah, yeah. It was all exactly right. Like, I would say it's almost impossible to do more than three things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And as the year went by, it was like one thing would be done and then another thing would start. So there was right. always like three... And at one point there was four and you can feel it when the fourth <laughs> one hits just before that third one is about to end. Then you're like, oh, I'm never going home. You know, I'm, I'm never going to get home. I'm never going to see my kids. I'm, I'm just going to live in the studio. Right. Um, so it's it's uh, you know, it's really about like having a really we're, we're a really close knit team here at the studio. And it's. You know, that's really important to have people you trust right. working with you. Um, and, you know, again, you know, two, two or three of those were, you know, quite literally collaborations with other composers. Right. So that made it easier. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot in your mind, like trying to I keep everything that's separate. A challenge. It's a challenge. More and also that, yeah. it can be very creatively freeing, you know, like mm. to write Fargo and then I'm writing that kind of music and then I have to, you know, totally switch gears 180 degrees and write a cue for CSI Cyber, right. you know, or Power, which are, you know, literally completely different types of shows, do completely different types of music. Absolutely. So that, to me, is something that keeps the, um, the creative mind sort of rolling forward. You don't really get bored. You know, you're, you continue, you're continually writing new types of material. Right. And that's really, really important. You know, I, I think for any for any writer, like to get stuck doing one thing for a really long time can can be it can be it can get monotonous after a while. And, right. and people do it, and it's a it, it, wonderful job to have. But to to keep the 
to keep the um, the creative juices flowing. It's nice to be able to just switch oh, gears yeah, yeah. completely. And I can do that in the middle of a day. And that, like, sometimes you get stuck. Like, you're writing a cue and you really don't know what to do. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to write this other thing. Hmm. And that can sort of clear the cobwebs out and you wow, jump back cool. and you get that done. That's it's very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. The way the mind works. And, uh, and talking about collaboration, uh, you mentioned Noah Howley uh, yeah. earlier, who was kind of, I mean, you guys are... A, t a force to be reckoned with, I think, a creative force. And uh, I was wondering, because I want to talk a little bit about Fargo, too, uh, kind of in, a little bit in detail, because it is one of my favorite shows on TV. And I think what you guys are doing is superb. Thank you. And um, so talk about that collaborative process. I know we were talking a little bit before about you guys have a shorthand and everything, but, I mean, is it literally just... Uh, you can read his mind, or is it... I mean, well, <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not quite. It's not quite like that. But you know, it, we built it up over many years right. of working together, and and um, it's it's more about like when we sit and talk about a project. He sort of gives me an overview as to the feel that he wants, and he'll he'll send me music to listen to, stuff that he's listening to, stuff that he likes, mm -hmm. where the vibe of something is very much what he's looking for. Right. Um, so that helps sort of helps guide me. And then when we talk about music, I mean, he can speak in the vernacular. So he, mm -hmm. cause he's a musician, he can say, you know what, like something really dissonant, maybe with some minor chords here. Like, have you tried mm -hmm. maybe, you know, maybe there was one cue I wrote for the first season that he was like, you know what, this is great. Let's slow it down, drop the whole thing an entire octave. And like, those are notes that are, totally easy to do. It's like, okay, I can right. do that. Just yeah. Slow it down, drop it an octave, <laughs> done. Um, and then I sit back and listen to it and go, yeah, that's a great, that is a great note. It's a great idea. Right. It's, a, it's a very musical way of trying to get what he wants without changing the creative too much. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, occasionally he'll say, you know, like, this is really great, but it's just not working for me. Why don't you just try it in this other way? And I guess, like, he feels that when I do something, I'm always pretty close to what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that's why he continues to <laughs> want me to do music for him because right. when he says I'm thinking about something like that and then I do it and it's that thing that he was that hearing in his head right. that it, it, it's really meaningful for him. So um, we have a way of just chatting about it. He he has said to me on a, on a number of occasions, you know, that thing that you did in that one place that one time, do that again here. And I'll go, I'll know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> and then I'll go to the studio, do it, and then send it to him, you know, and I get one word answers. Great. You know, that, that's it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so, and that kind of, uh, that kind of collaborative relationship between a producer and or director and, and a composer is really important and very rare. Right. You know, Absolutely. so many times... Yeah, yeah. So many times, creators of this kind of content don't really have a musical vernacular, so it's more of trying to figure out what they mean. Right, and you he's know? not just a producer. I mean, he's writing and directing, and he, this, yeah. is, this is like a... And these, these he's, know, an auteur, he's definitely an auteur. He's an auteur. Yeah, and definitely. So are you, and, and together, you guys are... That's Thank why you. I think the show comes together so well. But. You know, he, the, he puts together a team that's pretty fantastic. I mean... His director of photography and Brilliant, and yeah. the editing and the whole team. I mean, he is a genius at putting a team together, including casting and everything. Yeah. So, um, I feel like we're our shows, the shows that we have done, are always going to be greater than the sum of their parts. You mm -hmm. know, and when you put the right people together, it's yeah. it's magic. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so with Fargo, we're on season two right now. We're about 
a little bit more than halfway through. So yes, at least for are. me as the viewer. I mean, Episode you, six. You know what's coming. But <laughs> <laughs> Indeed I do. Uh, so um, the season, I mean, it's an anthology series. It's a completely different story than what season one is. It's kind of in the universe uh, of it. Um, stylistically, though, the music is very different than what you did for season one. But it's still in that, I don't know, it's hard to describe that. It is in that world still, and it feels like Fargo, but... I immediately noticed it, it's it's how, how do you how did you guys determine what the sound of this is? Did you treat it as a sequel? Did you treat it as a completely different thing? There was a rule. No season one themes. No season one themes. Except for the main theme. The main theme mm-hmm. stayed. Like we've used the main theme, I think, only a few times up to yeah, now. I barely You'll yeah, yeah. you'll start to hear it more. Mm-hmm. Um and that was the only thing that we kept the same. Everything else, he was like, we're going to write, we need to write all new themes. Because when we went to originally spot um, episode one, and, and, you know, we do something that we don't, they don't normally do in television, which is when we look at a show, we spot it basically without music. Mm-hmm. So, no temp. No, because it's, we know that we're going to replace it anyway, and we don't want our show to sound like some other right. show. So, yeah. you know, and I always try to tell that to producers, like, hey, you know, if you really want to have a unique show. Yeah. Don't spot with temp music. I know that you put temp in to try try to make your edit work, Mm -hmm. but if you really want to have something totally different, like have nothing. Um, But uh, we started trying to put some season one themes in because we thought like, you know, maybe it'll work. Mm -hmm. And then he listened and he was like, you know what? Those pieces of music are so tied to the characters from season one that it doesn't really make any sense. And I I sort of knew that about Malvo's themes, because that was very much him. Yeah, yeah. You know, but there were some general themes from season one that I thought, oh, maybe we could use um, some of these thematic elements. And as we watched it, we realized that we couldn't. And then he looked at me, he was like, you got to write all new themes. And the, the... the, the fact was that I had already written about 40 minutes of thematic music already just for season two. Wow. I'd written a Peggy and Ed theme. I'd written a Skip Sprang theme. I'd written a theme for Simone. Um, but there was an edge that he wanted that we that I hadn't touched upon yet. And it was very much a... Um, it was very... Uh, he wanted it to feel more German in nature mm-hmm. because the, the Gerhards are a German family and it, it sort of had a little bit more anger to it. Right. Um, he started sending me a bunch of music, um, some some Mahler um, stuff I listened to. I, I give a little tip of the hat to mm-hmm. to, to Mahler, and um, and some other some other pieces of music, and some seventies music. Of course, you know yeah. I, I was sort of raised in that um, in that era, so I, I sort of really knew what that could sound like. So yeah. there, are, you'll hear in episode eight. There's there are a couple of cues that are very 70s um, from a film score perspective and from just a pop music perspective right. and songs yeah yeah, um, yeah so how do you spot I mean how do you work I know there's a lot of there are directors out there Emma, um, that kind of stand out like Michael Mann who like to use songs and I like to talk to their composers because how do you kind of work around that in that when you spot it do you, do you know exactly where the song is going to be when you're already scoring it I mean is that the first thing you guys do is lay out the, the mapping of well we watch the, the show we watch the episode dry and mm. But we stop after each act, and we're like, you know, maybe we should go, let's go watch that one scene again. Maybe we should put some music here. Okay. Then let's put some music here. And, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is we we never want to play music until we earn it. Right, and, right. And, you know, so, so many times, like, you know, filmmakers will use music in order to help the narrative. We try to underscore the narrative and become more of a character, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we don't want to push the narrative. We don't want to try to make 
the audience feel what they're supposed to feel. It's right, like, right. if you're going to feel it, we'll feel it. And once we've earned that, then play music. You right, know, right. silence is golden. Um, and there, it, is a, there is great moments of silence. And yeah. that only serves to make the music more impactful when mm -hmm. it comes in. You know, it's if, if you have 38 minutes of music in a 42-minute show, nobody's paying attention to the music because it's always there. Right. It's like white noise. Um, when, when you use music really... Um, elegantly you know then it's a, a it makes the music more have more of an impact and mm -hmm. make it makes it more important we, we learned that or I learned that very early on in season one where we really let the shots establish themselves yeah. and then play music um, and that's that's been sort of hallmark of the way we, we spot these two shows um, but speaking more on the fact you know you're talking about uh, the amount of music used in Fargo and and you know TV is this medium, and we're, everyone says we're in the golden age of television, you know, the auteurs are there making the, the anthology series are kind of thriving. Um, but a lot of television, I don't, and it, whether it's broadcast or cable or whatever, it's, I would say it's, a lot of them are very sparsely scored. And while you, I think Fargo has more music than you tend to hear in some, I mean, even Game of Thrones when it's a big epic, it's, there's a lot of silence there. Um, is that something that you notice or that uh, when you work on your other shows where maybe music is not needed as much in certain in certain types of series or genres? Do you feel like you have more of a canvas uh, with Fargo, with Noah, working with Noah? Well, you know, Noah will write scripts and sort of script music into the scripts. Mm -hmm. And he'll also, you know, there will be these long swaths of picture without dialogue, which sort of allows for music right. to do something. You know, so many times you're just under, underscoring dialogue, and it's mm -hmm. like you can't do anything. You just have to sort of be there, um, which happens a lot in television. I think that the things you know, shows like like Game of Thrones, which frankly I haven't really watched. I've seen a few episodes, right, right. and I think that it's great music, and oh, yes. the way it's done is really beautiful. Um, I think they employ the same ethic, mm -hmm. you know, which is don't play music until. You've earned it. Earned it. Yeah, yeah. And when you've earned it, make it count. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, so many times, like, you know, you talk about, you were saying, like, the difference between cable versus broadcast networks. And it's like, you know, I've worked on shows on broadcast networks where it was, there was a 42-minute show, and then I looked at the cue sheet, and the cue sheet said there was 43 minutes of music. And I was like, how is it possible <laughs> that there's more music than picture? And, in, you know, in fact, it was, like, overlapping cues. and right. But the the point is that that music is sort of an afterthought it's mm -hmm. not even it's just there to help keep pace right um i feel like a lot of those shows don't let it they just don't let the music do what it should do right it, it, it is a style of filmmaking and a style of tv making that is totally reasonable and it works and people watch it and it's still entertaining mm -hmm. um it's more difficult because it takes a lot more time. <laughs> um, and then you have less time to really think about it. You know, right. you, it's then your first, your first try is your only try. Right. You know, your first time doing a cue is your only one until mm -hmm. you get a note. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that, I think that every show in every project has its own 
dictation. Like yeah. it will dictate what it wants, what it needs. It's and just, the, the, you know. I don't know the flow of Fargo is. Just, I love the way. I mean, and I think it is you do strike that balance of earning the music because like when you you notice I, the last episode during those. And you guys do the split screens a lot, mm-hmm. and the kind of the wipes and everything, and you're scoring those. Just it's really in sync with everything, and then it will stop, and then it'll set you into the scene. Right. And then so it's definitely very meticulous. I'm uh, going back though to Fargo, and I just I don't know why I didn't notice this or why it just came to me. I mean, because the original film to me is a western, a hidden western. Do you do you see Fargo as a western? The way I mean, there's cops, there's. There's you know war, like, all dueling families. There's I, I've never really thought about it like that. This last episode, I was looking at. It, I'm like, this is very western. Like they're standing off by. Well, the, we, so know. we open with a western, right? With right. the whole the whole first episode, the the first you know four minutes is you you enter into this Ronald Reagan movie. That's right. a western. Yeah. Um, and that was the actually the first time you heard the the main theme, but it was redone as a a big '50s western style score. Right. Right. Um, so. Now that you mention it, I guess it does sort of have that sort of leaning. Yeah, it's. I've never really thought about thought about it that way. I sort of thought about it more like a a very. um, I I look at it more Fellini esque, like it's just so absurd. You know, it's (laughs) maybe an absurd western. You know, Um, but that to me is very you know very much what life is because life is very absurd. Like things happen in life, and you're just like, holy shit. And that happens all the time. I mean, maybe there aren't like big, huge massacres. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are. you know, which is a, a terrible tragedy. But the way it happens in Fargo seems so—it's it, weird because it does feel like out it, there. it could be happening, but it also feels like that far, that world just exists in a bubble right. as well, just above just, the 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 universe that we live in. Right, it's like just above is the Fargo. Universe. But I love that you guys employ the, that same thing that um, the Coen Brothers did in the movie, where they open it saying that it's. Everything is true. Right. <laughs> have yeah. you, have you, we still get, it? yeah, we still get, I still get questions. Like, that's true? It's a real story? Like, you know, no. No. It's a plot device. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that you're in it. But yeah, that's what it does. It, but if you didn't know it, it does uh, take you in it. Right. Um, so besides television, um, you do a lot of other work. And we talked about your performing. Uh, you also write, uh, which also interests me, uh, for ballet. Yeah, I did. I did a ballet a while back, and that was that was sort of also before I really got into doing a lot of film and television. And the great thing about that was I they gave me I went I went to to New York to see the dancers dance. Uh-huh. They had done most of the choreography before the music had been written, so I got to score the dance, which was sort of backwards. Nine times out of ten, it's the composer is making the music and then they choreographed the music. In this particular case, this particular choreographer, her name is Jen Ballard, she had um, come up with this, it's like 14 minutes um, of, of, um, of choreography and she had asked me, she said, do you think it's possible to write to the to the choreography, and I was like, "Well, yeah. Why? Why not? I, I'd need to come and see it, and then film it, and then so I can, you know, see how it's happening and find out what the tempo is and how they're moving and, right. and all that stuff. And it, it ended up working out really well. It was the only time I'd done that, um, 
But that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. But it was, again, like I said, it was backwards, which I think is so what... what did they... Did she choreograph to another music, or it was just... Just in her mind. Just in her mind. Yeah. So the dancers just had to feel the movements and just... Right. To silence. Yeah. Wow. I'm not sure how they kept tempo, yeah. but when I wrote the piece, I found myself making these really enormous tempo changes mm -hmm. in order to really keep up with what the what the dancers were doing. But it was, it was, um, it was really, really a challenge. But... And it took a while. It took like eight months. Wow. But, um... To write a 14 and a half minute long piece, which is, you know, you don't think of taking months, that. Yeah. Well, it was it was going back to New York and seeing it again and again and filming it and then seeing how it was evolving because right, right. it was evolving. And then finally, when I finished the piece of music and then brought it to them and they danced to the music, it was like it was pretty incredible seeing it for the first time. Wow. You know, anyway. But would you ever go back to that? I mean, is that something you'd go back to or is that just you know. Eventually, that sounds like something that would be cool, mm -hmm. but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right yeah. now. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, if somebody said, "Hey, do you want to write a piece of music for um, for a ballet or dance or or anything?" I, I, you know, I might say, "Well, yeah. Let me mm -hmm. let me try and let me try and figure out when I can do that." But I am pretty happy, yeah. you know, <laughs> watching Fargo and watching these shows and writing music for for the t uh, for the TV. <laughs> So just kind of looking at the entire process, the entire process of whatever the, whatever the show is, and I'm sure it's different for every show, but what is the most exciting part of your job like that you look forward to with every project, everything? What is that point there in that kind of timeline that you go, yes, we're at this point. I love it. Getting the job. Getting the job? Getting I think the so. Call? Really? Get, getting, the, getting the job and knowing that I... Because usually if I really want a job, if I really... If I'm, if I'm um, you know on the road of trying to get a job or someone has told me about a project and I've read the script and I really like it and I really want I, I'm all of a sudden I start writing music in my brain the moment I hear about something that I'm interested in mm -hmm. so that whole time like figuring out what that sounds going to be thinking about like oh maybe I could get that one special instrument and how would that sound and how am I going to build that and what's that melody going to be that whole process is really really uh, inspiring wow. so from that up to the moment of okay you're you're hired we're doing it mm. that's sort of the culmination of all of what's going on in my head then of okay. course like writing the music and like getting into it that's great too but right. it's it's sort of like that's at the crest, yeah. and it stays up there for a while. Um, but that initial, I guess, like spark of ideas. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. initial spark of ideas on any project is always the most thrilling for mm -hmm. me. Um, and then, as I put it into motion, now when I do Fargo and any any project that employs a um, uh, an orchestra, mm -hmm. that happens again because. Then I'm writing it, I'm writing, I'm writing it, and then all of a sudden someone is performing it. And that's another thrill, very thrilling moment, like seeing an orchestra perform music that you've written. is It's a pretty thrilling thing. Or, or not not even just an orchestra, any amount of people, even just like a guitar player yeah. or a pianist. <laughs> or I had a, um, I had a guy in here playing um, the Wurlitzer. I had written this piece of music for Fargo, a very 70s sort of funky piece. And when he sat down and played it, that was totally thrilling to me. <laughs> and I'd written it like two days before and I was like, yeah, this is all right. This is cool. Let's and then it. he sits down and plays it and it's just like, fuck, that's amazing. Right. I could never do it like that. <laughs> you know, um, same with, you know, an orchestra or quartet in there or whatever. That's also extremely thrilling. Then, of course, seeing it all finished, like that's always thrilling too. Like I watched, 
I got home last night pretty late and I watched a DVR version of, of episode six, which I'd seen 10,000 times yeah. before, but there's nothing like seeing how other people are going to see it. Right. Because I never see a fully done, colorized, you know, fixed picture. You know, I don't ever see it like that. I see it at the final mix, which is just like a temp colored version and you don't ever see it. Right. Until it's aired. But I mean, I, I'm not going back and watching the DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know if you do this. I do this too when I'm, uh, if I'm editing something or if I'm knowing someone else is going to watch it for some reason, I'll watch it and somehow, I don't know how to describe it, in my head I kind of imagine the other person watching it right. and what they would experience. It's like you're not in your own head. You're like, right. that's exactly how they're watching it. I think right. it's a completely different yeah. experience that way. But. <laughs> uh, that's, and that's also thrilling. Yeah. yeah. So that's the most exciting part. What is the most challenging part? The one that's like, God, fuck, that's the most like tedious? Or is there anything that you just want to get through that uh, has to be done or that it kind of makes you hit a wall? Well, you know, yeah. Doing little pieces, mm -hmm. little cues, like if there's an 18-second transition. Uh -huh. Those kinds of things, it's very difficult to sort of try to be musical in a very short span. Mm -hmm. So... At some point, those kinds of things start to feel non-musical, and they start to feel non-artistic. It's just sort of like, now I'm just using the craft. Right. And I would I, I would just say that that's just not as much fun, you know. And that's where you're doing a job. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's no longer like, oh, I'm just an artist. I'm yeah. just having fun <laughs> painting with my paints. You know, it's it's more of like the okay, this is I have to do this, and this needs to go here, and okay, done. Right. And then try to move on. Um, you know, a lot of it when you're actually into the scoring aspect of it, that's when the craft really becomes important, mm -hmm. you know, um, because writing music is really wonderful and really great. But like using your craft to like make your art work in a certain situation. Right. It's, it's really that sort of meeting of being a true creator of art and then also figuring out how to make that art into something that is usable for what you're doing, right. you know. So and now looking back at switching gear, back to your tour, when you tour, when you're playing with your band, mm. you've traveled and what's, your, what's been your, your favorite city that you got to travel on tour to? Oh, I mean, we've... we've several maybe, but... Yeah, with the, we've been to so many, like, you know, I've had so many wonderful, wonderful experiences everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm does, it, does, does it just kind of blend into one big thing yeah. like it's like at home tour well touring it's like i have many many memories many specific memories of things that have happened mm -hmm. on the road some good some not so good um we were uh one that sticks out in my mind is that we were we were in paris on my birthday which was august 31st 1997 playing a show um and we were done playing the show and we went to walk back to the hotel and we saw that there were police everywhere on the street and I got back into my hotel and that was the night that Princess Diana was killed. Oh, wow. And we had walked right by the the accident. Wow. It had happened right after our show and we walked by and then, you know, we then the next morning we got on a train and went to London because we were going to shoot a video in London and all this, you know, all this memory of everything that was going on sort of you know, mm -hmm. is a part of that big sort of wash of memories. Right. But um, I remember getting getting to, to London and the taxi driver was crying. Because when we left, she hadn't died. 
she was still in the hospital like 4.30 in the morning, which is mm -hmm. when we left um, Paris to go to London on the train. By the time we got to London, apparently she had died. Wow. And then, so that, that kind of thing, like those kinds of experiences, really, really big experiences, like as a part of being on tour right. and experiencing that is, was, is just really, you know, has, has emblazoned itself upon my brain, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so for that, Paris is, it holds a big, uh, a big memory That's for me, a really, yeah, really yeah. significant memory, because it was such a brilliant time. It was such an amazing time in person. Then that happened, right. making that completely unforgettable. Wow. Like, you have these experiences, and they're really great, and then something so major happens that it's something that you can never forget for the rest of your life. Right. You know, those, those things are, are really big. So... You know, Paris is is a place. London is is obviously um, a place. Uh, we've had really, really fantastic shows all over the world. We yeah. played in Poland, actually, not too long ago, to like four hundred and fifty thousand people. That was we had never played in Poland before. And we show up, and like people are, you know, there's four hundred thousand people there to see this show that we were playing, and we were we were pretty we were pretty surprised. Um, so that that kind of thing really, I mean, yeah. really is very memorable. <laughs> Outside of this this room that's where you what, what you do in here I don't really get you out don't of get this out room but very when much. you do get out of this room what are things what are hobbies you like to do besides music anything that you do to kind of creatively refresh or to relax I I have two children and I love dad duties yeah I love hanging out with them like go play soccer with my son or yeah. just hanging out with my kids which is very much a total reset you know right. um, but I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, so so the time I do have, I, I want to spend with them. Yeah, with your family. Um, because any other time I have, I usually am going out playing shows. That's kind of like the hobby now. You well, know, it's yeah, like going out and true. playing yeah. shows with the band um, is more like the respite mm -hmm. than it is the work. Yeah. You know, the work is here, um, and I love doing it. And then I get to go on, you know, play shows with the band. That's kind of like a vacation. Yeah. So that's kind of like the thing. Well, I mean, there are other things I love to do. I love to ski. Oh, I don't really well, get to ski. When was the last time you went skiing? I mean, a few years ago. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it hasn't been. And I'd like to try to go skiing this this winter. As a matter of fact, I've been sort of yeah. threatening the people who work here in the studio to, to for us all to go on a ski trip to just to bear. find out that yeah. that they don't ski. And I'm like, well, what good are you? If you're not going to ski. Why? Well, you know. Um, so it's it's hard to say. It's like. I'm kind of a tech geek, so I, you oh, know, yeah. like love keyboards and computers and all that stuff. So it's like <laughs> I get to do my hobby, the things that I love at work. Right. So I, you know, that so doesn't leave much time for anything else. Exactly. Yeah. So your your hobbies are your work. That's that's a, it's a, a blessing too. Right. Yeah. It is. Uh, it is. I'm very I'm very lucky that that's the case. Yeah. So yeah. to to kind of wrap up, uh, looking back, is there something that you learned that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career as a composer that you, you learn down the road that you wish you could tell your younger self like all right this is a very valuable lesson you should have known this some of the thing you know it's it's interesting i've been asked that question before and the good thing about having had a career prior to this part of my career mm -hmm. is that a lot of those questions were answered in that previous incarnation of what i was doing mm -hmm. right um so i there's a I would like to say that w what I always understood was checking your ego at the door. Like, there's no room for ego. Right. 
and I learned that really early because you start in a rock band and you have a big <laughs> hit. You're like the biggest fucking egotistical person, <laughs> and I, and that that was early. Yeah, and that changed. Right. Like you sort of learn, like oh, the ego, get rid of that because it's only going to make it more difficult for you. And mm -hmm. I learned that you know before I ever even stepped foot in a a, a composer studio. Um, so I sort of knew that going into this. I was always very much like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, whatever needs to be done. You know, it's not, you know, I know a lot of people were like, I'm not changing it. It's my music. And yeah. I, I don't look at it like that because, because I'm, um, I come from being in a band. Which is collaboration. Which I is, feel like yeah, it's all a collaboration. Yeah. Music is collaboration. Of like, course. yeah, you can sit in a, in a studio and write a piece of music in a bubble and it could be great. Um, and that's great. You should record it and put out a record, you know. But when you're when you're making music for someone else's medium, you know, when a director is making a, a movie, you know, he's making a movie based on somebody's words. I'm writing music based on somebody's pictures and words. Right. You know, it's like it's all a collaborative effort. Yeah. And I think that I learned also how to collaborate very early. You know, which is important. Which is very important. Yeah. It, it is very important. You know, it, you you can't. You can't let your ego, you can't let your ego be bruised either. You know, like you get notes. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. You know, I know people, I, I know people, and I know I felt this too. Like, you know, I get a note on a, on a piece of music and I'm like, oh, you know, I really liked it that yeah, way. Right. I really thought it was really good. <laughs> I thought for sure I was going to give this cue and he was going to be like, oh, this is great. <laughs> and then, you know, you get that note like, this isn't working. Right. And, and my first response is, oh, it's not. Yeah. Um, not not to anybody else, but to so myself. Like, you know, I'm like, it's not working. I'll have to watch it again. I want to understand what's going on. Right. And then if I'm able to like separate myself from my ego, I can go, okay, I have to have a completely, you know, objective point of view here, not and not be subjective about it, right. um, and pull myself out of it and listen to listen to it with their ears. Right. Um, that's a big sort of ego, super ego thing, you know, just needing to have that balance. You learn that pretty, you learn that pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> because no one's ever going to allow you, no one's ever going to hire you if you're like, no, I'm not right. going to do that. Right. Yeah, like another right. line of people that would... Exactly. Okay. A very long line. Very long line. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure uh, to, to chat and uh, really love the work you're doing. So. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks.